Ephesians chapter number one. We'll read the sorry in verse number three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Tonight, I'm going to continue on in our study of the doctrines of grace, um, and we'll be preaching on the subject of reprobation. And I know we just heard a message on this um, Sunday, and we can just think of that as the introduction to my message tonight, um, that we're going to look at the, the flip side of God predestinating um, us unto election. And if that is the truth, then the flip side of that is true with reprobation. Well, why did I choose this text? Well, just to start, I want us to think about the fact that um, three times there in verse number three, introducing the subject of God's sovereignty and salvation, Paul says, blessed be the God who blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Three times he talks about um, the the blessedness of God and how God blesses us. And so this doctrine of God's sovereignty and salvation is not a dour doctrine. It is not a, a, a bad doctrine so much as it is a humbling doctrine. So Paul sees the doctrine of God's sovereign choosing in election as a God-exalting, God-honoring doctrine. So we shouldn't view it as a bad doctrine or we shouldn't see it in that negative light, but to see it as also, as the scripture shows us, a God-exalting, God-honoring doctrine. Now when it comes to reprobation, we have to be, and election as well, we have to be humble as we come to this text and we have to be careful. Uh, there are there's a lot the Bible has to say about it, but there's also a lot that, the, that God just doesn't tell us about it. So we go as far as the Bible goes. We go as far as Scripture will allow, and then when we get to the point where we don't know, then we just stop and say, we don't know. And that's a perfectly acceptable answer when we come to the things of God. We don't have to have an answer for everything because we don't have the answer to all the questions that might come into our mind about God. And we don't have the answers to all the questions that might come into our mind about um, eternal matters. We have the answers that have been revealed to us. We have the answers that we can find in Scripture. But there does come a point in time where we just have to say, I don't know. God, God hasn't told us, and, and we just have to leave that into to his hands. So we have to be careful because we could easily mischaracterize God when it comes to the doctrine of reprobation. Sometimes the doctrines are viewed bad or in a bad light, we could say, because people don't like the doctrine of God's sovereignty and salvation. They, that, that's one aspect of that, that it's offensive to the flesh to say that God does not choose us based on how good that we are, but he chooses us 
unconditionally um, by his sovereign good pleasure. That's offensive to our natural sensibilities, especially us Americans who like to think of ourselves as independent and, and uh, you know, strong and, and that sort of thing. It is a humbling doctrine, but sometimes the doctrines are viewed bad because we don't believe what the Bible says about them or explain them unscripturally. So sometimes the fault is on the person who explains the doctrines that, that, that mischaracterizes what, what the doctrines say. Misrepresenting the scriptural teaching on this would not only bring dishonor to God, but it could bring harm to our own souls as we think about or mischaracterize um, our, our God. Or it may harm people we talk to about it. And turn God into a monster or view God as capricious rather than uh, as the Bible reveals him. Make no mistake, the doctrine of reprobation is a difficult doctrine. It is a hard doctrine, um, but it is a God-honoring doctrine. And it does not, it does not change the, the nature of God. It, it tells us and shows us more about who our God is. Before we get into that, let's just briefly reconsider what the doctrine of election is. Election is God's choice. It is a divine, a monergistic, sovereign choice of God choosing individuals by his own good pleasure. So it is his choice not based upon what we have done, but he, chose, he loves us because he loves us. He chose us according to his own good pleasure. And he chose before the foundation of the world, as the, the text tells us, um, chose us in the beloved, chose us in Christ. According to the good pleasure of his will. So he predestinated us unto this adoption. And it was according to that good pleasure. So when we think about this, we can't forget what it says there in Ephesians. It was his good pleasure. It was... And don't forget that good part. His good will. His good pleasure cannot be unjust because it is his good pleasure. His good will, his good, his good choice cannot be wicked. It cannot be evil because God is not unjust, wicked, or evil. So this choosing was not choosing us in ourselves, but God choosing us in Christ according not to what we do, but according to his good pleasure, his good will. So, so the choice, the choosing um, is good. And all that God does in his, his sovereign decree is good. So we start with that. We start with that premise or just keep that premise in mind that whether reprobation or election, it is according to his good pleasure, it is according to his good will. So if we look over in the book of Romans, um, chapter number 8, as we continue to think about um, the one side of this is God's choosing unto salvation. See in Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. 
And whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. So here we have sort of a chain of, of salvation, and the same ones here that God foreknew, so the same people that he foreknew, he also predestinated. And those same individuals that God predestinated, he called those individuals. And those same ones that he called, he justified. And those same ones that he justified, he glorified. So he didn't, so you, you can't take this and say he foreknew all people and then predestinated all people and then called all people and then justified a few people and glorified a few people because that's not what the text says. The text is showing those whom he foreknow, those whom, right? Not what he did foreknow, but whom he did foreknow. So that's the individuals, right? Whom he did foreknow. Not what. So if, if God looked and saw good works, it would be what he did foreknow, but it's whom. And those he also did predestine to be conformed to his image. And those that he predestined, those same individuals who he foreknow and he predestined, then he called effectually. Because, how do we know it's effectual? Because those whom he called, he justified. Now, justified is not based upon our works or our righteousness, but it is a legal decision um, proffered by God himself that he declared us righteous. And so he declared us righteous. He he. he through the propitiation of Christ, cleanses us from all unrighteousness and imputed to us his perfect righteousness. God did that as a judicial act to those who call, he called, to those he predestinated, to those who foreknew, and to those he justified, he will glorify ultimately. So this chain shows that from Every step of the way, the same person that God foreknew before the foundation of the world will be in eternity glorified with him in love. So each link in this chain is the work of God and not the work of man. And so each also logically must happen to the same individual. And once it does happen, it must be completed all the way through the end or it breaks the chain. If God foreknew and then predestinated and then called and then justified, then we lost our salvation and the chain is broken and then he does not glorify those that he foreknew to, to do so. Then God did not complete what he set out to do. Or if God did foreknow and predestinate and call, but the person uh, never believed and was not justified, then the chain is broken and God did not accomplish what he set out to do. But this text tells us that God, according to his purpose, in verse 28, according to his purpose, um, sees that his people are, are, are saved and saved to the uttermost. Why? But, and it, but it begins with his sovereign decree to do so. Um, the London Baptist Confession says, now there are others not elected, Okay, so this is the elect. But what about everybody else? There are others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word. 
and may have some common operations of the Spirit. So, you may be you may witness to somebody. They may hear the gospel. They may come to church and hear the gospel and see the saints worshiping the Lord. Yet not being effectually drawn by the Father, neither will they or truly come to Christ. Therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men that do not receive the Christian religion be saved, be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of religion that they profess. So there are people who live by the law and the light of nature, who are good neighbors and, and good friends, do good things um, for the world. But do not trust in Christ. Though they may have heard the gospel, though they may know of Christ, um, they are not and will not be saved. That's the flip side to the doctrine of election. There are some that will hear the gospel. There were some that will never believe. There were some that will never trust in Christ. And that is the flip side of this, reprobation. And sometimes it's called double predestination. It's just the other side of the coin of, uh, of election. Because unless we believe that every single person alive or who has ever lived is going to go to heaven, we have to believe according to Scripture, that some are going to go to hell. We can read the Bible and know right now there are people in hell. So we can't believe that everybody's going to go to heaven. Or like some people believe that they'll eventually make it to heaven. No, there, there are two destinations. You'll either be with the Lord or you'll be cast out away from the Lord. You'll either be known by God or, or you'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And if we believe what the Bible says, that some will be in heaven and some will be in hell, and if we believe what the Bible says, that God saves his elect, as we just read in Romans 8, the next question arises, well, what about the non-elect? R.C. Sproul said, there is a if there's predestination at all, then we, we can't shrink from the fact that there's two sides of that election. So we can't say that God would choose unto salvation and not deal with the other side of that choice. Not, and not at least consider what the Bible has to say about those who did not choose unto salvation. So what is reprobation? One theologian said it, is, it can, may be defined as the eternal decree of God whereby he has determined to pass some men by with, their operation, with the operations of a special grace and to punish them for their sins to the manifestation of his justice. So when we talk about reprobation, we have to remember that God is free. God can do whatever he wants. That's his good pleasure, the good pleasure of his will. So God is free to extend or withhold mercy. God does according to the counsel of his own good will. And God, as creator and as God, not only may do as he pleases, but always does as he pleases. And he does so according to his holy pleasure, whatever he wills with his creatures as the creator. That God is the creator, he is the sovereign, and he does whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases, always as he pleases, to his creatures as the creator. But God is good, and all things that God does is good. 
And therefore, God freely does whatsoever is according to the good pleasure of his will. And, and in reprobation, God chooses not to save all people. Why are not all people saved? Because God chose not to save all people. We can't say that God tried to save all people, but God chose not to save some people. God has ordained them to judgment. God extends freely mercy to those he will show mercy to, but then extends justice to those who he has ordained um, and chosen not saved. When God ordains the wrath, he does so with a preconsideration of their fallen condition. So as God chooses us in Christ unto salvation, he does so unconditionally. Meaning with that God chose us in Christ as a fallen people, that the Father ordains, ordained us unto salvation in Christ. So I believe that the Father from that fallen lump of, of clay, as we find in Romans chapter 9, that he chose us in Christ unto salvation. So I think that that considering the fall, God chose us unto salvation. So there, there had to be a fall, you know, logically um, speaking, if, if we try to put this in order a little bit, there had to be a fall for us to be chosen unto salvation, right? So why would we be chosen unto salvation if we hadn't, God hadn't considered us as lost people? So I think God chose us unconditionally unto salvation, as the Bible says, with the consideration that we were fallen. So God extended mercy unto us who were fallen. But then the Father ordains the reprobate to wrath with a preconsideration or, or a prethought of their rebellion and their sin. So God looks upon in eternity past the the, the fallen uh, human race and chooses to show mercy unto some and chooses to show justice unto others. So there's two parts to reprobation. So when we think about this, there's two parts to it. One is the preterition, or it is the determination to pass by some men. That God has ordained that he will pass by, he will not show mercy unto some men. And then there's the condemnation. And that is the judgment of those wicked men. Condemnation and reprobation are not the same thing. So God doesn't just create a man just to throw him in hell. Why do people? Why does the Bible tell us that men are cast into the lake of fire because of, that, because of their sin? It is a judgment. And so reprobation is considering both, first, the, the determination not to save, but it's also the determination to punish the guilty. It is the determination not to extend mercy and the determination to show justice. So from eternity past, 
There are those who God has determined and has ordained not to extend his, his mercy to and also not and also to show uh, justice. Let's look in First Peter now, chapter number two, which gives a little bit of an illustration of this, or not illustration, but it, it it lays it out for us in a way for us to think about here concerning us. First uh, Peter two four. To whom coming as a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. So, you know, we're talking about Christ here. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in times past you were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So we have Christ, the, the chosen servant of Jehovah. Uh, Christ, the, the eternal son of God, who entered into this flesh, the, the stone which uh, the, the people rejected, the chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he is precious unto us who believe. Well, why do we believe? Because we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood called by God to show forth praises. We were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, why do, do the people not believe? Verse number eight tells us they were disobedient. They stumbled at that stone of stumbling. They stumbled at Christ. Uh, they, they, they would not believe. They were offended at Jesus Christ and the gospel and at the word and the truth. They were disobedient. Whereunto they also they were appointed. So here we have a chosen people that God has called out of darkness into his marvelous light to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Then you had those who were appointed who stumbled at that word. Christ, the chief cornerstone, uh, was laid in Zion, and, and there were some that fell down before him and believed and trusted in him, and there were some that the stone fell upon them, and that they, or in this metaphor, they tripped and stumbled at Christ. But one was appointed unto mercy, another appointed unto wrath. But it was this, ultimately the sovereign choice of our mighty God um, who chose to show mercy to some and chose to show um, justice to others. There were none of those in Jerusalem who tripped and stumbled at the rock of offense who did so because um, God made them reject Jesus. But they all in their hearts refused to, to hear the word. But the scripture tells us, just as we were ordained unto life and to believe, um, those who are reprobate were ordained unto justice. God would not show mercy 
unto the end. Burkhoff said, this preterition is a sovereign act of God, an act of his mere good pleasure in which he determined in which the demerits of man do not come into consideration while the pre-condemnation is a judicial act visiting sin with punishment. So, the reason for this is not known by man. Right, so, it, it can't simply be because of some sins because all men are sinners. We can only say that God passed by some for good and wise reasons, sufficient unto himself. Why did God choose to pass by? We just get to that point so we don't know. The same reason I don't know why he chose me unto salvation. He had a good, wise reason. And that's good enough for us and it should be sufficient for us to praise his holy name. But that's just talking about why he, he chose to pass by. Why did he choose to condemn? Well, that was because of justice. So on the one hand, I don't know why he, he cho chooses not to show mercy to some. But I do know why he condemns them to hell. And that is because they're sinners. That is because they broke his law. So we can see the, in those two parts, one is a, a mystery to us, and it's just God's good and wise purpose. But the condemnation part is very clear that they are condemned for their own sin. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that God forces men to sin and then judges them for things they don't want to do. But the Bible from beginning to end shows us that men sin because they want to sin. And men do what they want to do. And Men love darkness rather than light, and they are condemned already because they do not believe in the, the Son of God. So in those, those uh, canons of Dort that we, we talked about in the first message of this, Article 15 talks about reprobation. It says, The Holy Scripture most especially highlights this eternal, undeserved grace of our election and brings it out more clearly for us. And it bears witness that not all people have been chosen but some have not been chosen or have been passed by in God's eternal election. That is, concerning whom God, on the basis of his entirely free, just, irreproachable, unchangeable good pleasure, made the following decree. To leave them in common misery, by their own fault, they've plunged themselves. Not to grant saving faith and the grace of conversion, to finally condemn and punish those who have been left in their own way under God's judgment, not only for their unbelief, but also for their other sins, to display his justice. And this decree, which does not make God the author of sin, but rather it is a fearful, irreproachable, just judge and avenger. So in all of this, we, thus far, we see that, that God, this uh, reprobation is is a decree, a determination not to extend mercy and to judge men for their sins. Now, on our next point, let's look at Romans chapter 9 and some of the biblical data we have here on reprobation and, and see how God treats this and how, um, through the apostle, he answers some objections. So Romans chapter 9, verse number 11, it says, 
Uh, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, not according to works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And we'll pause right there. So right, right from the very beginning, from the first of this, we find that the purpose of election is being drawn out. We have both sides of that election, don't we? Jacob and Esau. You have one that God has chosen unto salvation and one that God has um, chosen not to extend mercy to. One that God shows mercy and one that God shows justice. And we see also it's very personal. Some people, well, we know that this text does have something to say about the nation of Israel. But nations are made up of individuals. So you take the Old Testament text and what that was talking about, it's talking about uh, nations, but nations are made up of individuals. But here, this is not talking about nations. Paul is not, he's talking about individuals. And so we just have a very stark personal contrast between one that God loves and one that God hates. So this is God according to his good purpose. God showing my, mercy and God showing justice. Now injustice is evil. It's wrong, it's evil to be unjust. But God's not unjust. God is righteous. Showing mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it is not evil. That is that's a good thing. Delivering justice is not evil. That is a good thing. It was unjust for that man to shoot and murder all those people in Buffalo. That was an injustice. That was evil. But taking that man and putting him in the electric chair, that would not be evil. That would be justice. That would be a due punishment towards a wicked crime. Okay? So God is not unjust in whatever he does. He's not unjust in showing Jacob mercy. Well, Jacob was a great sinner, yes, but God was a, is very merciful. And that's not unjust because his, his sins were paid for in Christ and he chose to show mercy by offering a substitute for Jacob. But Esau was also a sinner and it was not wrong for God to show justice. And it was also not wrong for God not to extend mercy to Esau. God never punishes innocent people. A lot of people balk at this because they think that because they think that it's unfair or that it's not uh, not treating people fairly. But God never punishes innocent people. <coughs> that would be injustice to punish an innocent person. Christ was punished on our behalf. He voluntarily laid down his life for us, but he became sin for us. He became our sin bearer. And Christ was punished because our sins were laid at his account. So God did not punish a, a, a pure and innocent Esau. Esau got justice. Jacob got grace. God redeems the guilty people. God judges, but God also judges the guilty people. The Lord God doesn't put unbelief and sin in the heart of the reprobate even though God does harden the heart. 
So let's keep on reading. For what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, God forbid. For he has said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it is not of him that willeth, nor him that runneth, but that God showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, for even the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardeneth. Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault? For who hath resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing form say unto him that formed it? Why hast thou made me thus? Have not the potter power of the clay of the same lump to make one vessel into honor and another to dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory and the vessels of mercy, which he hath afore prepared unto glory, even unto us who he hath called not only the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. So we see in the text here that God will show mercy to whom he shows mercy to. And that's not unjust, is it? That's not wrong for God to show mercy on people. But the problem that we have in our minds is what about everybody else? Well, God says, I will harden who I will harden. The scriptures say God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, how did he do that? How did he harden the heart of Pharaoh? Did God make Pharaoh sin? Did God work sin in Pharaoh's heart that Pharaoh would have otherwise loved the Lord apart from God um, putting disbelief and rebellion in his heart? Well, that would make God the author of sin. And other Bible passages tell us that that's not the truth, that God doesn't, is not the author of sin. God doesn't even tempt because God can't sin. So you can't say that you're even tempted by God because um, God doesn't tempt people to sin. So how does God harden Pharaoh's heart? Well, what God did and what uh, Romans 1 tells us is that when God hardens a heart, he gives them over to the sin that is in their heart. So God doesn't create new evil, but gives them over to the evil that's already there. So Romans chapter 1 tells us that that's what happened uh, to, to the people of the world and how God gave them over to a reprobate mind. God did not create the reprobate mind, did he? How does, how does man have the reprobate mind? Well, Adam fell, Adam sinned. He brought the curse upon men that, that they held the truth in unrighteousness. But because they were unthankful and because they glorified not God, they were not thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They started worshiping the creation, the creature. In verse 24 of chapter 1, Wherefore God also gave them up unto uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So what happened was their rebellion was punished by God in God giving them over to their own reprobate heart. The, the punishment was in verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. 
those things which were already in their heart. God did not create new evil in them, but just gave them over to do what they would have done, wanted to do anyway. Now you'll notice if you go back, and we won't take the time to do that tonight, but if you go back and look in the book of Exodus, especially in chapter number 9 and into the um, chapter number 10, when the hail came and smote all the land of Egypt, um, Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and said, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord, for it is enough. Pharaoh said, I sinned against God. I have broken his commandments. Now, I'm sorry he said that the Lord has hardened his heart prior to chapter number 9. I believe it's chapter 7. But it says God hardened his heart. But here in chapter number 9, Pharaoh says, I have sinned. He didn't say God made me sin. He didn't say God uh, put it in my heart and created evil in me and I, I wanted to do right, but, but God wouldn't let me. No, he said, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous. The Lord does right. Is what fa- that is the confession of Pharaoh. The Lord does right. I have sinned. Pray for me. Well, he did. And Pharaoh, uh, Moses left the city of Pharaoh Pray, verse 34, chapter 9, Exodus, and when Pharaoh saw the rain and hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. And the Lord said unto Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. So it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then it says the Lord hardened his heart. Well, what happened? The Lord gave him over to a reprobate mind. But what did God do here? The goodness of God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh went to the man of God and said, pray for me. And he did. And the Lord held off on the judgment. And whenever Pharaoh saw the goodness of God and saw the common grace of God and saw the mercy of God, and saw that God is sovereign and that God answers Moses' prayers and that Pharaoh was not the king of the universe and that, that Pharaoh was not in control of all things. God gave him over to his natural inclinations, which was to hate God. God did not create Pharaoh or evil in Pharaoh. God did good to Pharaoh and just with and just Gave him enough rope to hang himself is one way we might think about it. He gave him over to his already depraved heart. By God's common grace, in our world, God restrains evil. God judges the people in this world by giving them over to what they want to do. He removes the strengths. You want to know why this world is... is the, in the volatile state that it's in, because God is judging this country. He's judging our country. How? By giving people over to their reprobate hearts. You see things that are not even, there's things in the news that I wouldn't feel comfortable describing behind this pulpit. So filthy and vile that it's just on, on television. There are things that are that celebrated publicly, by our leaders that would make the, 
the pagans in Corinth blush. There are things that are accepted amongst little children now that would make the, the, the pagans in Jezebel's time look at us and say, you guys need to dial it back a little bit. You, you've gone overboard with it. Why is that? Because God has get, we have denied God and denied God and sinned against God. And, and so God lets us do, he removes those strengths of common grace. Removes those restraints of, of just the understanding of the natural law and gives us over more and more freedom to do whatever we want. And, that, and what do we want to do? We want to sin. God hardens man's heart in this, in this way. You'll find the same thing happened to Pharaoh as Judas. Both willingly sinned. Judas was ordained in Scripture as the son of perdition, foretold by Christ himself that he would deny him. The son of perdition from the very beginning. But why did Judas betray the Lord Jesus Christ? For 30 pieces of silver. He wanted that money. And when you, whenever he did it, he didn't say, Lord, you made me do it. Lord, it, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that I was a, going to do it. Jesus said I was a son of perdition. I couldn't help it. It's not my fault. No, overcome with guilt, he went and killed himself. Judas' own testimony says, I sinned against innocent blood. And he killed himself out of, out of the guilt and the shame of his sin. Judas was a son of perdition, ordained unto um, ordained by God from the very beginning that God would not cleanse him, that God would not show mercy to him, that God would not save him, that God would pass him by, and that God would judge him for his sins. He was a reprobate from the beginning. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us any more about how or why God ordained sin to enter into the world in the first place. So there we just have to stop. And say it was according to God's good pleasure. And we, by faith, trust God. Calvin said, the, the will of God is the supreme and first cause of all things. And God holds the devil and all the impious subjects to his will. Nevertheless, he cannot be called the cause of sin, nor the author of evil. Neither is he openly to blame. Although the devil and reprobates are God's servants and instruments to carry out his decisions. Nevertheless, in an incomprehensible manner, God works in them as to contract no stain from their vice because of their malice is used in a just and righteous way for a good end, even though the manner is often hid from us. The decision of why is according to God's good pleasure. It is not of him who wills, Romans 9 tells us. Well, um, Paul raises two objections, and this is how I'll end in Romans 9. In Romans 9, 14, Paul sort of anticipates people's objections to it. In Romans 9, 14, Paul says that people, he knows what people are going to say. Well, God's unfair. Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, God forbid and R.C. Sproul pointed out that the fact that Paul raises this question up shows that he doesn't have the Arminian doctrine because the Arminian doctrine of God choosing is based upon the works. So if you're an Arminian, 
If Paul was an Armenian, no one would say, is there unrighteousness with God with that doctrine? The only way that you would say that is if you believed in the doctrine of sovereign election. Well, the objection doesn't make sense if God's choosing is based on what we do or what we believe, because then no one would ever say, well, is there unrighteousness with God? He says, God forbid. God is free to choose to show mercy on whom he shows mercy and free to choose to show justice on whom he will show justice and harden whom he will harden. The second objection is verse 19. Well, why does he find fault? If God judges us because he chooses some unto salvation and chooses to pass by others, why would he find fault in a sinner? Well, this, again, would not be a question raised if it was by the Arminian doctrine. The reason is is because man's responsible for his sins. God has taken the fallen lump of of humanity and shown grace to some and justice to the other. God is not arbitrary. Even though God doesn't choose us for anything we do, doesn't mean that God doesn't choose us without purpose and without reason. Even though we don't know the whys, we know that God has a reason. And according to Scripture, the reason is good and holy and righteous. God, this is not fatalism, because my life is in the hands of a loving and merciful God. This should humble ourselves before the Almighty. It's tempting for people to make God in our image and say, well, I don't like that, and I don't like the way God says that. Well, that's making God to be like you. And I wouldn't like for you to be God, because you're sinful. And you don't have all wisdom and all knowledge and you're not all loving and you're not all holy and you're not all just. But God is. And so it's natural to to understand that an all-wise, all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, um, eternal, holy, just, righteous, good, and wise God would not do things like you would do them or like I would do them. And when the God of Scripture is shown not to be like us, that should humble us. We shouldn't get mad at Scripture, but we should be humbled and say, yes, God does as He pleases. It should make us tonight thankful that God is merciful. And for those of us in Christ, God has shown us mercy. He has chosen mercy for us. It should also make us see the sinfulness of sin. And, And so very thankful that He saved us from it. How do I know that I'm elect? Well, um, one man said, look in the mirror of election, which is Christ. How can you be sure of your election? How can you make your calling and election sure? You look to Christ. He cho- God chose you in Christ. You're saved in Christ. You're forgiven in Christ. You're accepted in Christ. You have union with Christ. How do I know if I'm one of the elect? Well, look to Christ and believe. And then you know that you'll be that you 